Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick, and uh, I'm standing next to a fountain on one of the main squares of Assisi, where we have arrived yesterday, spent the night here, and I thought this would be the perfect place for a walk. The weather is nice. Yesterday the sun was shining, it was warm. Today it started off cloudy, but uh, right now I can see some patches of blue sky, and so hopefully we'll get a bit of sunshine as well. When I look down the square, the square it's uh, this part is on a hill a little bit. On the left side, I can see uh, the entrance to our hotel. We have a hotel right in the center of Assisi. And uh, I'm waving here at two, two of the participants to the SQPN Tridio pilgrimage. Uh, and they had a bit of a sleep in this morning. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Are you doing the walk? I am doing the walk, but oh, now I'm nice. actually doing a sit down with you guys okay. here. How are you? Did you get some sleep? A little bit. A little bit. I wasn't feeling the best last night, so it wasn't a good sleep. Yeah, we were up half the night because he wasn't feeling good. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, you did You did well. Just, you know, take it easy. That's what and a pilgrimage is for. We ended up making it out to the church. We took a uh -huh. taxi out. Uh, and oh, okay. Then, um, Rode the bus back. We went to right. Italian Mass and then bus back and kind of took a little loop around. Right. I got to take the microphone off my chest here a little bit because... Some, you have to share something to my audience, which they don't know yet, okay. and that is that you got to meet Pope Francis. Yes. Now tell me yes. about what was the occasion? Uh, so we were getting our marriage blessed at the Wednesday audience. Because you guys got married a couple of months ago? Yep, uh, about four months ago. Four months ago, give or take, yes. Yeah, April 29th, 2017. And then you heard that newlyweds can actually go to one of those Wednesday audiences and then you get to meet to meet the Pope in person. Well, we actually knew about it before we got married, which is why we decided to come on this pilgrimage. It was one of the reasons uh, besides getting to meet Father Roderick and all the other <laughs> people, but um, it was a way to get to Rome and get to be in Rome for the Wednesday audience so we could get our marriage blessed. Yeah. So you put on one of the two wedding dresses you have? <laughs> yes, I um, wore my reception dress. I had a long dress for my wedding with the train and then I switched into a dress during the reception that was T-length so it was just easier to dance and so wore that one around Rome for the and whole day. And very handy if you have to stand in line at St. Peter's Square and not having... Your, your dress on the floor is, uh, is a big advantage. Yeah, it was definitely uh, funny to see some of the brides who had long trains that were just getting covered in dirt and stepped on, so it was nice of me to have the shorter one where we didn't have to worry about it as much. So then you're waiting during the Wednesday audience. It's hot, it's long, there's a lot of languages, and then all of a sudden there's the moment that, you know, the Pope is going to meet you. So what happened? Um, so we were... Back behind there, we were listening to the Wednesday audience, and then as he did the papal blessing, all the brides and grooms stood up and kind of ran towards this back door, and they led us through a barricade that led us right behind where the Pope had been sitting the whole time, but he was at that point on the Pope mobile driving around, um, and we managed to be some one of the first couples out, so we got to be right on the barricade, so we were within like a foot of the Pope. We got to shake his hand. It was really cool. Did he say anything? Um, he just said, pray for us. I told him, bon coraggio, which is just an Italian phrase, you know, good luck almost. Um, and he just said, make sure you pray for me. Make sure you pray for me. And, of course, he gave you a big smile. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Even with his, his black eye, it didn't seem to hamper him any. He was still just overwhelming and just excited to be with the people. Yeah, for those of you that have missed that, when the Pope was visiting Colombia, he was uh, going for a tour in the Pope Mobile. 
And then I think he saw a child or something like that. He, he wanted to stop, yeah. and then he bumped into the side of the Popemobile. Yeah, I think what happened was was he was kind of reaching out for the baby, and then the driver said, oh, let me stop, and he stopped a little too sudden and kind of shook forward a little, and that's when he got his little uh, little injury. Yeah, but it's, a, it's a nasty black eye. If yeah. you see it up close, it's like, wow, what happened? But then he, I think he's already joking about it, that he got into a fight. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Something like that. That's totally him. Yeah. Well, enjoy your morning. I'm going to go for a little walk and Sounds show the rest good. of the CZ to my listeners. With great meeting you. Great and you see you later. Alrighty, let me put that back on my... I'm using the little lavalier microphone so I don't have to worry about it and uh, on the on the right side of the square by the way is this ancient temple which I hadn't heard about it's uh, from the first century before Christ and uh, it's one of the only temples that is still uh, in one piece a lot of the of course in Rome you see a lot of the uh, the, the, the remains of, uh, of the old Roman times but a lot of those are just runes. But this one is, has been used basically continually from the moment it was built until, up until now. Now, of course, it's in use as a church. And this entire town is such a change with Rome. Um, so our pilgrimage started uh, a couple of days ago. And we visited many of the famous places, as you've heard. We also went to the Wednesday audience. We saw Pope Francis just barely back from his trip to uh, um, uh, what was it? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't have much coffee this morning. So, was it Colombia? Anyway, so he, uh, we saw, we got to see him on a, on a gorgeous day. We went to a number of churches. We celebrated mass in most of the major basilicas. I think we only have uh, Saint Peter's Basilica on our list. Um, we will do that when we get back home, or back in Rome, I should say. It feels like home to me. But for the next couple of days, we will be here in Assisi. And uh, what, what I love about Assisi is that it feels so medieval. All the houses here, I'm walking up a steep hill. And I'm surrounded on the left and on the right by these ancient houses, most of which, you know, date back several centuries. And some of them actually go back to the times of St. Francis. And uh, it's a lot busier in the streets than yesterday. There is a, um, an event going on downtown, a big convention um, with people from all over the world coming together. I think it is probably something related to world peace. And so there are a lot of people that are joining that event. They're currently here in, uh, in Assisi. So that's what you hear. And another reason that it's busy is that it's almost lunchtime. And so I can smell the, the smells of, of freshly baked pizza. There are two people here eating a, a, a piece of pizza here on a, on a bench. A lot of the restaurants have, are now open. And uh, while climbing up this hill, I, uh, I'm now in front of what I think is the cathedral of, Saint, uh, of um, Assisi. Although I'm not sure I should have taken a map or something like that. And of course I cannot consult Google Maps because I'm recording this on my phone, which has been, has been my go-to computer for almost everything for the past couple of days. Um, but we'll just walk in and see. It's this big white facade, like most of the buildings here in 
You see, see it's been cleaned up, also restored. They have had several um, earthquakes in the past couple of years. One of the biggest one hit 20 years ago already, I think. And it, it uh, caused a lot of damage. And so while they were restoring these churches, they also took advantage of that occasion to clean the facades. And so it looks really beautifully white. And there's a bell tower here on the left, one of those typical uh, Italian medieval bell towers. There's a rosetta here in the center, a beautiful uh, wooden door and some ancient carvings like this is all kind of late medieval and we'll just take a look inside oh, yeah this is the Cathedrale San Rufino it's dedicated to the patron saint of Assisi which is not Saint Francis but San Rufino he is one of the earliest evangelizers of Umbria which is the region where we are now uh, Umbria is a very mountainous area, so it's very different from Rome, where you just have the hills. Um, and San Rufina came in this area and uh, started the first Christian communities. There are some glass panels here on the floor, and below that, you can walk over them. It's actually a bit scary because they're you know, completely transparent. Um, you can see the remains of uh, an undoubtedly the earliest church that was built here and oftentimes of course in Italy uh, new generations will build upon the remains of previous buildings use that as a foundation and so here they have unearthed all these all these runes of the previous church or the previous or perhaps one of the earliest cathedrals the rest of the church is kind of not so interesting I mean it's beautiful but it's rather white and uh there is a wooden choir here, a main altar. It's nicely that They've got nice flowers here. Some sunflowers, some yellow and white flowers. There's a cross with a light on it. Also decorated with some flowers. And uh, there may be a small museum there on the left. I can hear some music coming from that area. Oh, that's just a phone. <laughs> What's written there? Let me see. Uh, it is the... Oh, it's a... It, oh, okay. Uh, it is an exposition dedicated to John Paul II. Um, so it's all... Sorry, I see paintings there of John Paul II, both from his earlier years and his later years. But we'll not visit that because this is the walk. There's a Franciscan uh, father here talking to one of the pilgrims. And I'm now leaving the church on the left side. And from here, this is beautiful. I can look over the rooftops of the buildings in front of me and I can see the valley below. So there are some mountains on the horizon. And then between those mountains and Assisi, it's actually very flat and it's rural. It's one of the things I love about uh, Assisi is that the surroundings have not been industrialized. They have not turned this into a big city, uh, which of course it could have, uh, especially because of the notoriety of um, no notoriety of St. Francis and his fame, etc. But uh, basically, if you walk outside the town, if you leave the town, you'll be in the same landscape uh, that uh, that still looks the same as in the times of St. Francis and St. Clair. Um, a lot of the um, 
of the countryside is covered in olive trees. And I don't know if it's already or perhaps already past the harvest. There's some pigeons here flying away. Um, you can see them flying away. The, the sky is starting to clear up even more. So it's actually, the weather is better than I thought it would be yesterday. Um, so the olives are being harvested still by hand. That's why it's a, uh, there's a taxi passing away. I'm going to follow the taxi and see if I can get out of the town, although I'm not sure if that's the safest way to go. Yeah, this is clearly just one of those taxi exits. You know what? I'm going to try it anyway. They won't run me over. But then the streets, this being a medieval town, the streets are very small and uh, going uphill or downhill. And of course, there are Quite a few day tourists, day visitors that will just come here by bus in the morning or by taxi, visit the town, attend mass perhaps, and then go back home. But I'm really glad that we are staying three nights, um, especially after the first few days in Rome. Rome is a lovely city, but it's also a big, busy, noisy city. And... Uh, it is, for me, <laughs> it's, it's especially great to be out of the city of, of Rome. Because I've been there so often, and I always associate Rome with work. Um, when I'm there, it used to be just for study, and I, I spent so much time on, on my communication studies there. I barely took time to, to just visit and do some sightseeing. And then every time I came back, it was for, for television work. And so this is actually one of the first times that I'm visiting Rome um, as a pilgrim. And <laughs> Mountain Batorac, who organizes this, uh, this pilgrimage, is constantly surprised that I haven't seen the places where he brings us. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you've lived here for two years and you've never been to this church and you've never been here. You never celebrated Mass in this basilica. Like, no, <laughs> I was always too busy. But being here in Assisi helps me also to kind of wind down a little bit. We started this morning really early with Mass in um, perhaps for me the most special place so far, uh, which was the small chapel that is still the chapel. I mean, it's, it's, Saint Fra it's a, one of the chapels that was entrusted to St. Francis. This was the first one that served as his kind of base of operations, you could say, after he uh, decided to throw his clothes and everything he, he had in front of his father, who wanted Francis, of course, to become a merchant like he was, and uh, where he was embraced by the bishop as basically the, the, the new father that he had. And so he vowed to live a life of poverty. And that's when they gave him a tiny little church. Now he had had this dream in which, or this vision in which Christ spoke to him and asked him, uh, I want you to rebuild my church. And he took that, at first he took it seriously. And so he rebuilt this little chapel, restored it, and lived there for many years. It's also the place where he died, or very close to that chapel. Uh, he died in 1226, I think. Um, and the, uh, the cool thing, there's a secondary school, like an Italian class, climbing up the hill here. Um, 
the, the amazing thing is that they preserved that chapel by building a big church um, on top of or, or, or around that tiny chapel. And so it's, it's, a, it's a tiny little church inside a big church. And um, this morning, uh, 10 minutes past 7, <laughs> we were supposed to leave for that church. Oh, of course, I forgot. I cannot remember any numbers. So I thought we had agreed to meet at 7.15. So everybody was like, oh, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. But we, uh, we were able to celebrate Mass there in that chapel. There's a bit of Italian chatter. Uh, now I can leave through the main gate, the city gate, but there's also a tiny little staircase that goes down here. So I may actually follow that. Because I think if I leave by the main gate, you get to the escalators and it, I don't know, this, this feels more like one of the roads that has been here for centuries. There's a lot of climbing involved here <laughs> and a lot of walking. I do like an average of uh, 25, 26, uh, hundred, thousand, uh, no, thousand steps a day <laughs> if I have to believe my, uh, my watch and the uh, health app on my phone. Um, but I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but St. Francis had quite an impact on me as a young boy, or young boy, when I, when I was 17 years old. Um, and I was discerning my vocation. I, I, was, I had rediscovered my faith, and there were two saints that uh, really had a big impact on me. One was uh, Saint Therese, or Saint Therese of Lisieux, or as they say in France, her real name, Saint Therese de Lisieux. Sounds so much better than the Americanized version. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I, that was almost someone of my age, and, and reading how she prayed and how she uh, walked with God was a huge inspiration for me. It showed me how my relationship with God could be. And then the second saint was St. Francis, and um, that was because of a movie I saw on, te on TV. It was a movie um, made in the 70s uh, by an Italian director, and it, it was one of the first movies that really wanted to uh, give a more, kind of a more realistic, uh, slightly romanticized idea of what Francis' life and mission uh, would, would, have, would have looked like. So it was filmed in, on location, I think, here in Italy, in uh, the villages in this area. So it gave the movie quite a nice, authentic feel. This was not made in a Hollywood studio or anything. Um, and it showed both the, the, the story of, of Francis' uh, conversion, and uh, I remember the one scene where he is on the square in Assisi, and he throws, he, he, he dresses down, he throws away all his clothes, because his father, of course, uh, is vehemently uh, opposed to this newfound vocation, so uh, Francis at first was a uh, someone who lived the rich life and loved to party, and but more and more he started to get touched by um, the hermits that he saw, um, the the people that devoted their life to uh, to prayer and to a life in poverty, and uh, there were a number of events in his life that made him think like I I'm called to a different life, and I no longer want to be. In, uh, in the service of my father who just wants me to make a lot of money. This was around the time that the city started to grow 
And so his father had become very wealthy because of, you know, his talent for trade and just making money. And at one point, Francis feels that he needs to make a radical step and his father doesn't approve. And so he, he stands there at one point in a movie, he's completely naked, and then the bishop wraps his mantle around Francis, covering him and thereby also kind of expressing that now I will take you, the church will take you in, his, in her care and you're now my son. Um, and I remember how much of an impact that made on me. I was like, wow, that is such, such a big step to make. That's so radical. And, uh, and then the, 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 the rest of the movie shows um, the, 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 the change in his life. And you see, I can remember like a shot of his feet in sandals or, or perhaps even completely barefoot. And he's carrying these rocks, these stones up the hill, building this chapel. Uh, re- literally reconstructing this chapel and to realize this morning that I was standing at the altar of that very same chapel that was built by the hands, the bare hands of, of St. Francis. Wow, that was, that was amazing. And to realize also that it was the same God that called him that has called me. And in a certain way, um, I've, I've always felt the same uh, call to a radical uh, a discipleship in the sense that is, is this like leave everything behind, come follow me. Uh, you don't need anything else. And I think I'm in a, in a, at a time in my life where the, the, I, the, I feel that this call gets more and more radical in a certain way and um, the, my recent efforts to declutter my life of all the stuff that I've amassed over the years um, and to simplify my life, not just in terms of what I surround myself with, but also the choices that I make and the things that I do or the things that I don't do, um, is very much kind of similar. I feel that, that Francis is a good guide in that process. And he will help me to discover the, the strength of simplicity. I'm still trying to find out how I can walk even further. There is a staircase here that leads to what looks like an elevator. I'm not sure. This is a modern uh, road built above the, the trees here below. And I, from here I can see I have a nice view of the ramparts of the city. And I can see several towers. I don't see the big basilica, which is on the other side of the hill. We visited that yesterday. It was pretty stunning because it shows you the... Uh, okay, here's an elevator. I don't want to do that. Here's just a regular staircase. This is called the walk, so I'm not going to take an elevator. Um, well, that was pretty beautiful. There's uh, like a, an, a lower uh, church and an upper basilica. Both are completely covered in... Uh, wow, that's weird. <laughs> this looks like a garage or something like that. What's that sound? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that puts you in the, in, in the mood. No, no, so. Let's see, do I have to go down here? These guys don't want to pay level zero. 
Something tells me that the exit is elsewhere. Let's go up the stairs again. Okay, that's totally put... <laughs> takes me out of the medieval mood. This is like a, a restaurant here on my left. And a food court. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, how do I get out of here? Toilets. Parking spot. Is there an exit here? <laughs> and in the middle of this very modern food court, there is a place where you can buy uh, paintings, religious paintings. Let me see. Here is a, is a sign. It says, to the churches. Centro Uscita Peronale. Okay, so apparently this is just a parking lot. There is no, I, there's no way to go down. Okay. <laughs> wow. This is so not where I want. Free Wi-Fi. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, I think I have to go back up the stairs. There's no other option. Okay. Well, <laughs> there we go. Up again. waste too much time inside here. Ew. They could at least play some medieval music or something like that. Okay, I think I'm completely in the wrong. There's a little path here, but what does it say? Uh, just You can't walk your dog there. I wonder if this goes down. You know what? Let's just, let's see. Let's just take this small gravel road here, this path. So I think Francis is is uh, it's going to be one of my companions for the next couple of years. And there's another reason that I'm very touched to be here in Assisi. Oh wait, it says Ushita out. And, uh, well, but this, this is going to bring me back to the horrible parking lot, right? Yeah, oh, this is really weird. Where is this road going? Is that a dead end? I see a fence. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. There's something on the right here. I just want to go to the olive trees below. <sighs> it's a tourist trap, I tell you. <laughs> they don't want me to leave the town. Oh, yeah, it's a dead end. Wow, what is this? There's a little plastic building here. Okay. Oh, I hear the same dreadful music coming from below, from down below. There's a little farm here on my right. Some lettuce here planted and, and a few olive trees. But I, Oh, even some nice fresh tomatoes. But I can't climb over this fence. I'll probably have dogs. Okay. Let's try it from another, another perspective. Uh, on top of the hill, I can see the old fortress, which we won't visit during our pilgrimage. I may walk there tomorrow if we have a bit of time. But the, um, the, the second reason that this place is special to me is because of the current situation of the church. Just this morning I saw another post on Facebook um, about the decline of, um, of uh, uh, practice, of church practice in my country. 
Um, the number of uh, first communions and confirmations has halved since the in the past ten years. That's half the amount of children that are initiated to the Catholic faith compared to ten years ago. Where and ten years ago it was already pretty bad. Um, and then what was most worrisome to me was the almost complete. Wow, I'm walking through a cloud of mosquitoes here. That's not fun. Let's see. There's some indicators here. Santa Chiara. So it's the Church of Santa Chiara. And Strada Panoramica. So at least we get a good view if we continue here. Okay, but well this road is going up. I want to go down to the valley. Oh well. So uh, the number of, um, of Catholic weddings is almost down to zero. It's, so that means that there are almost no Catholic families anymore. At least, not no families that started the family life with a Catholic wedding ceremony. And so, what are the chances that those parents will raise their children in the Catholic faith? Very slim. So that's, I think, the most worrisome trend. Um, and then, of course, oh, I know from experience that uh, we are in the process of slimming down and closing churches. Uh, another uh, message on Facebook was from one of my fellow priests who uh, is um, the parish pastor in Arnhem, which is a big, big city, and it has a huge basilica um, that almost got destroyed during the Second World War and was rebuilt and was really the center of, of uh, Catholic life in that city for many decades. And now that basilica, basilica, is for sale. They are selling it to any buyer for 950,000 euros. Not even a million. This is a massive building on a prime location in the city. And basically, it's up for sale now. It's a very hard decision, of course, because of its history, but also symbolically. You know, you're... Basically, you have to withdraw from one of your strongholds. That's how it feels. This is like when you, uh, in Risk, in the game of Risk, you finally manage to capture Australia, and you, for a number of turns, you're able to defend it and build up your armies, and all of a sudden, Father Henry is coming in with this green or blue, <laughs> and he has got the green or the black armies, and he's taking... He's taking Australia from you and you're like no that was my that place is so special to me how can I win this game if I don't have Australia anymore <laughs> sorry that was a nerd moment <laughs> okay this road goes up again I see a lady with a broomstick she's not flying it she's just cleaning <laughs> the pavement in front of her house so I'll just follow this road oh who cares it's the walk. Uh, the um, I'm trying to look around and see. I see the the. I'm now I'm I'm looking at the cathedral from the back. It's really pretty. Um, uh, so those and I see the reactions. I see the comments on those on those posts, and everybody is 
talking doom and gloom and everybody's depressed and this, this is the bishop's fault because they don't communicate. Or this is, no, it's the, the fault of the faithful. They don't believe enough. It's the fault of the society which is so materialistic. It just goes on and on and on. It's very understandable that people react like that. But I don't think it's productive and I don't think it helps. And that's, I believe, I strongly believe where St. Francis can really teach us how to go through these different, difficult times for the church. And this is happening in my country, but make no mistake, this will probably also happen in, or is already happening or will happen where you live. This is something that is affecting the entire Western world. Um, I think that what Francis teaches us is that Poverty, instead of just being a hamper, uh, something that hampers you, something that strikes you and t- robs you of stuff, that poverty is actually a blessed road to sanctity, to conversion, and ultimately to the realization of the will of God. Uh, if you look at Francis' life from a career perspective, <laughs> let's say if you, if you would you know, like measure the success of, of St. Francis uh, using one of the many self-help books in terms of how to build your career, how to become successful, how to get the most followers, how to uh, optimize your PR, <laughs> etc., then the life of Francis was a complete failure. All right, where are we now? This looks like... Oh, this is the city gate that I saw about 20 minutes ago. All right, walking through the city gate. Clearly, this is the road that I should have taken right from the get-go. Like you hear the escalators that go up. I don't think there's an escalator that goes down. So we'll just walk. Um... The Francis, uh, even in terms of his mission, felt like he was failing at the end of his life. His ideal of of creating a group of like-minded people that would give up everything and live in in complete poverty, already during his life, that was in that was in jeopardy. And other uh, followers had kind of loosened up the rules and started to live a life that was not the kind of life that Francis wanted them to live. And so he, he felt that everything he had given his life for was failing. Was, he, had, he was losing control. He was losing grip. That's perhaps the most radical poverty that he has experienced in his life. Getting rid of your clothes and your shoes and your, your horses, that's actually the easiest step. The most difficult ones the most difficult step to embrace Lady Poverty, I think, was to let go of his ideals and let go of the idea that he could manage the future in a way. Now, this is a busy spot because all the buses are passing here. So I'll try to cross this road here, this busy road, and get rid of the noisy traffic. 
And here I was thinking that I would take you on a nice, <laughs> calm, nature-filled medieval tour. <laughs> well, actually, we may be closer to that than I first thought, because when I cross the road here, see if I can do that without getting killed. Yes. Cars do stop, actually. Here is a staircase on the side of the road. It goes down. Let's see where this is. Now, below here is another house. This is an abandoned house, or perhaps they're still building it. So, the... If I, if I take that as a almost as an image of where God can lead you sometimes, then I think it shows us, St. Francis' life shows us, that sometimes <laughs> if you follow Jesus, he will take you where you don't want to go. Or where you at least don't think that it bears any fruit. And poverty, if it's just the absence of something, is miserable. It's not a goal in itself. But poverty is also, can also be lived as a way, a lifestyle in which you depend on God in everything. Not just for, your, for, for what you wear or what you eat, but even your, the fruits of your labor, your life, your ideals. Ultimately, um, if you live in... I think uh, in, in the spirit of St. Francis, it would mean that you also have to be ready to give that up as well. And to be ready to live without seeing the fruits of your, of your sacrifice. Um, and perhaps even in that, you know, in that experience of letting go of what used to work but doesn't work anymore... Letting go of your dreams, letting go of your ideals or your, your ability to change the world. It, it makes you even more dependent on God's will. And that should be the, that should be the, the, the joy of your life. Knowing that you can't do anything else than to give your life. And then it's up to God. And that's fine. And if God wants to use your life to change anything or to touch people, that's wonderful. More glory to God, but it's but if God thinks or decides that it's not the time yet, or that He has another plan, or you know, just knowing that by giving yourself, by by living this life of poverty and detachment, you are fulfilling God's will, even though you would do things differently, and that should be a source of joy and great freedom. Well, if I go back to the stories that I read this morning on Facebook. For me, this is the way to go for the church in my country. This is also the way uh, I feel invited to go myself personally as a priest. Now we're where, where I want to be talking about the way. This is a field of olive trees. And I can just walk up this little path. And now I'm walking among the olive trees. And I can, I can see the olives. They're not ripe yet. This tree doesn't have any olives anymore. The other one did have some green ones that were not totally matured. But I start to wonder if they've already been harvested. Probably. Oh, well. So those may, may have been olives, leftover olives. This is wonderful. 
Now I feel like St. Francis. <laughs> I'm in nature. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, but that, um, the, the, the way to go for me is the way of poverty, is the way of detachment, minimalism. But then I would say minimalism plus. Because the, the thing, the, the ultimate goal of minimalism is to create room for the things that are truly important. And then uh, oftentimes you will hear minimalists say, well, that's family, that's relationships, it's your ability to give and to share. Wait a minute, there's a little farm here, but it's been, it's been abandoned. Wow, there's a glass uh, window that has been smashed, so I don't think people live here anymore. It's a shame, it's a beautiful place. Perhaps I'm not allowed to be here, but I'll just explore. I wouldn't mind having a little house here close to the sea. Oh, wow. Yeah, some vandals completely destroyed this. There's glass all over the place. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's going to take a bit of money to fix. And here's a small garden. Walking through the grass and the path seems to stop here. Or is there a little... Can I continue here? Wow, this is definitely an adventurous walk. Okay, I can, I can tell that some people have been here before me. There's another uh, orchard there with olive trees. I'm not sure if I can get there. Perhaps from there I can join the road again. But... Um, you, I think that, oh, what, no, I can't continue here. Let's walk the other way. The, uh, the most important things for the church as they go through this process of minimalism in a certain way should be to create even more room for God alone um, and to let him handle what we clearly cannot handle. We cannot change our societies anymore. We've become almost completely powerless. And perhaps, just like Francis at the end of his life, we've become sick. I truly believe that in some parishes and in some dioceses, uh, the church is sick. And we have a, a lack of vitamins because we're no longer praying and our sacramental life is gone. And so if you don't nourish yourself with the sacraments, you become ill, spiritually ill. You become dehydrated spiritually or, or malnourished. And that has an effect on, on what you can give to other people. If you're sick, how can you heal, right? And so, uh, this process of letting go of what is ultimately not important is also maybe the road to um, redemption, to healing. And it should be a joyful process. I've, I've explained to you what this journey of minimalism has done to me. That giving away the things that I held dear for so long has been such a joy and such a liberation and makes me feel like the fact that I was able to do this entire trip with just five kilograms of luggage, just a camera, and, and then I was carrying my DSLR, so that's part of the of the weight, if I had left that at home, I would be basically here with just four kilograms, you know, eight pounds of luggage. That's all I need. 
I wash my socks every evening. I have two t-shirts that I wash and I let one of the t-shirts dry during the day and I wear the other one. I'm fine. I don't need anything else. I'm perfectly happy. My, my pilgrimage is great. So it's this joy of discovering that you don't need much to be happy. And I so dream of a church in which we embrace this poverty. We, instead of complaining about it and mourning the loss of our beloved churches and the buildings where so much happened and so much money was spent and it was all for nothing, and instead we will adopt this joyful poverty that you see in the life of St. Francis and St. Clair. It's like, thankfully, we can give up all that stuff, all the worries that we have maintaining the, the buildings. I mean, it just costs so much time and effort and money. For what? We have the buildings. We don't have the people that should worship in those buildings. So what would you rather spend time and, and resources on? On those few walls and the roof that weren't there five centuries ago and can be rebuilt if necessary in the future? Or will you spend your effort in creating community and building friendship. One of the things I said in the homily this morning was that it always struck me that once St. Francis started to give up his possessions, started to live in extreme poverty, he was able to give so much more because he was available to communicate what God gave him. And so he was not distributing anything that he possessed he was just passing on what God gave him in terms of inspiration, time, etc. Well, isn't that, isn't that a solution for the church in these times? Shouldn't we, instead of relying on our own strength and ability and our resources, shouldn't we be handing out what God gives us because we don't have anything left? And isn't that itself a great source of joy? That we're finally doing what the apostles were doing when, when, during the multiplication of the, of the bread. That's where we are right now. It's like, there's no food anymore. We have no buildings. God, we have no statistics to show you. We have no more first communi communicants. We don't have any, any influence in society anymore. The media, the politicians, they're all walking away from, your, from, from the path that you, that you show us to go. But we still have a little bit. We have these few loaves of bread, a few fish. And then if we come to Jesus with that poverty, why wouldn't he do what he did during the multiplication of the, of the bread? Why wouldn't it be possible for him to repeat that miracle and help us to distribute? He told his apostles, he didn't tell them, I'll fix it. But he said, just you give them food. You do that. And they started to hand out the bread and it was enough for everyone. It was even more than they thought there would be. Wow. I'm back on a small road that leads up through the, through the orchards. Lots of um, olive trees. I was walking in, in between the olive trees while I was chatting away. And then the road also goes down. I'll just go a little bit more down the, down the hill. Um, and you know what? What I, what I wish 
what I would hope for, for my fellow priests and for the bishops and for the entire church to which I belong and which I love so dearly is let go of your fear of the future. Let go of your fear of embracing this poverty and instead embrace it as a gift of God. These times are a gift of God. They can become a gift of God. The moment you live through these times with Him, it can completely turn around. And it's like the Beatitudes, you know. Happy are you, if you when you cry. It doesn't make sense to say that. Because you will be consoled. Happy are you when you're hungry. It doesn't make sense. But it does make sense when there is Jesus' promise that you will be fed. And when you're thirsty, you will be given something to drink. And if you're naked, they will clothe you. And so it's always the, the deprivation of something can become an opportunity for God to, to give him his goods and his help. And I th to wrap things up, that is, I think, why Pope Francis, the day after he was uh, presented to us as the new as the successor of Pope Benedict, uh, had this I think prophetic phrase that he said. Uh, I was there. I heard it, and I remember. I was in, that was in the Paul the Sixth Hall, and I was I think secretly filming. I was not allowed to film, but I did it anyway. And I, I remember I was zooming in with my camera, and I heard Pope Francis say in Italian. He was off script. He had these, you know, few pieces of paper with a prepared speech, and he <laughs> he didn't read that. And then he he, he leans back. And he said he, he pauses. And he says, "Oh, how I wish for a church that is poor with the poor." And uh, I knew at that time, the way he said it, I was like, that's his plan of action. That's perhaps the most important thing that this Pope is going to help the church with, to, be, to become poor again with the poor. Not out of some kind of masochistic uh, or, or socialist doctrine of the church should you know, be in solidarity with the, the oppressed and all that is important. But that's not the core, I think, of what he said there. It's, it's because he knows that the road to poverty is the road to salvation. And that becoming poor in itself can be a road to rediscover our joy and our energy because it will be God's joy and God's energy that will fill our lives. And who cares if you have a church? If you see that tiny chapel where we celebrate the Mass this morning, now it's beautifully decorated and everything. You've got the frescoes. And, but at the time, it was a, it's super tiny. You can fit like 10 people in there. And, and there, there's no space whatsoever. That was St. Francis' base of operations. He didn't have a cathedral. He didn't have a, like a, a whole group of people working under him and developing PR strategies and, you know, do the fundraising and everything. No, they were just living their lives with a smile on their face and a heart that was close to God. And that was what did the trick. That was why we are still remembering Francis and Claire and what they did. You don't need much to be a disciple of Christ. Actually, the things that you think you need are very often 
something that stands in the way of being a good follower of Christ. It's not by accident that Jesus invites his apostles to go out without any extra clothes and no money and just go. Go and see what happens and trust God who will be with you on your, on your travels. So I'm, I'm, when I'm here in Assisi, I feel encouraged. I feel called to do what Francis did and just be without any fear at all about the future. Just leave everything behind. Simplify your life. Focus on what God is asking you to do. Don't worry about success. Don't worry about numbers. Don't, don't mourn the loss of your buildings or, or the loss of your influence in society. Believe, believe instead in the, in the strength of, of God in you. And when you will live that life, you will bear witness in the most effective way. There's, it's, it's much more important than our campaigns and our, our desperate efforts to save what can be saved. The church is not the Titanic. It's not. It will never sink. <laughs> it will never... There, you know, the, the church is a boat that will float every time. It will float, start to float better the moment you throw things overboard. <laughs> the more you lose, the more God will carry you like the waves carry the boats. Man, I am so poetic today. <laughs> must be the landscape. I apologize. I'm, I, I realize that I'm very preachy today. <laughs> but man, it's, it's, it's because it really... I really believe this to be the, the, the way that God shows us right now. And, and I am so glad to be here at this time in my life in Assisi to ask for St. Francis' guidance in, in this. What is going to be the rest of my life? It's going to be a priest in this church that is minimizing, that is simplifying, not out of free will, necessarily. It's forced to do this. But I hope that we will embrace it, just like Francis embraced Lady Poverty. All right. With that, I've come to the end of this walk, at least the walk down. <laughs> now I need to get back to the, to the city. What time is it? It's now 1 p.m. Okay. I got an hour and a half to go back up the mountain, um, grab something to eat, and then uh, we'll go visit. Where are we going this afternoon? Uh, oh, I think that we're going to see the cross that um, spoke to Francis. You know, the, the, the some more famous sites. Anyway, um, if you don't don't do that already, go follow me on Facebook. That's where I post a lot of the photos. There's also uh, some stuff on Instagram. And I will be working on a, on a video uh, summary of, of our pilgrimage so that the, the entire community uh, that is connected with us around these media productions that we do can, can benefit from what we are experiencing here. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. God bless. <laughs>